Hey, you guys, just want to let you know we have an amazing show called The Game Changer Show each and every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT, where we interview uh, entrepreneurs, athletes alike. Uh, it gives people uh, an, op- an opportunity to listen to people's story, how they made some, how they've kind of uh, really turned their business around. Uh, it's fun. It's thought provoking. It's an opportunity to ask questions uh, and it's interactive. So if you want to come uh, and hang out with some cool people, uh, 6 p.m. PM, please go to uh, youtube.com forward slash sleeve forward slash Adam Strong. Uh, subscribe and click on the bell, and we'll see you there on Wednesday at 6 p.m. GMT. Cheers. Take care. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we actually have a a really cool guy on the show. His name is Brandon Lark. I met Brandon, believe it or not, off the audio-only app Clubhouse, and we've become uh, very good friends because he um, helps me moderate a room that I do every Monday and Friday, 7 p.m. or where he can. Now, who is Brandon? Well, Brandon is a serial entrepreneur. He's also a former U.S. Marine. Um, he's a He runs a, a branding and marketing agency, and in just last year, 2020, he actually helped 100 small businesses make their first $10,000 during the pandemic, which is absolutely amazing. So Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam, for having me. Thank you for having me. Now I'm a fan of the podcast, so this is exciting to be a guest. Absolutely, 100%. You know, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I love some of our conversations on on Clubhouse, and you know I don't know if you guys are li- our listeners. If you guys are part of Clubhouse, you need to meet, uh, follow me and Brandon. But what I love about our, our our conversations is that they're just so real and authentic. You know, because there's just so much fake it before you you know make it before you fake it type of thing, crap and that kind of, and all that BS that kind of floats around. And you're just not that kind of guy, are you? Do you know what I mean? No, you know, it's a lot, lot of posturing, a lot of ego on Clubhouse, um, pomp and circumstance, I like to call it. Um, and I just like to be a straight shooter, pow, pow, say it like it is, say how I feel. Um, everyone talks about showing up and be authentic, and then you can tell that they're not. Um, and I just find that it's, it's hard enough being me. So I don't have time to try to be another version of me. Like just being me is hard. Like living life is hard. How are you out here trying to find somebody else to to be? And so, you know, um, and what I find is that my connections are better with people. They last longer because they know who they're getting from the beginning. And it's not culture shock when I switch up in six months and then they start to see the real me. So I just show up as who I am. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, we'll be all right. (laughs) <laughs> love it very cool now listen i know that you served as a, a u.s marine for i think it was about eight years if i'm not mistaken and and then you transitioned into entrepreneurship which we'll talk about in a second but what was life like as a u.s marine you know what would what did the average day look like for you just out of curiosity 
Ah, um, you know what? To put it quite simple, it was the day of an everyday person going to a job. It's a, it's a culture, but it was a job. You know, we, we woke up in the morning, we did physical training, we went and performed our specialty, whatever our job was in the military. Um, we got off, we hung out with friends, we ate dinner, you know, and we got up and did it again the next day. You know, just like, you know, we did specialty trainings and things of that nature, just like business people go to conferences and things of that nature. So it, it really is, it's, you know, to put it simply, it was a job. Um, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. You know, um, it allowed me to meet a wide variety of people, um, to learn culture from around the world. It was an amazing experience, but to put it quite simple, it was just a job, you know, it was a job. Did you go into a particular area of speciality in the kind of Marine Corps? Um, so my, my training was in administrative. So I was a supply admin and then I did physical. Um, I'm a numbers guy. Um, so I was able to excel because I've always loved numbers. Um, so that, that was my specialty. My, my skill set job training was under those parameters, which then helped me as I came out. Um, but the thing about the Marine Corps is we're all trained first and foremost to be the Marine that Amer like that society knows. So right. the the gunfighter, I guess is what I'll call it, the warrior or whatever, we're all trained there first and foremost. Yeah. So that's the unique thing about the Marine Corps. Every last Marine is trained to be a Marine. And then after you're trained to be a Marine, then you go and get training on whatever your job specialty is. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. It's interesting because my my uh, my last business coach, actually, who I still stay in contact with, he actually served as a U.S. Marine. You know, he did. He kind of ranked up. I think he was in the in the uh, in the Marine Corps for about twenty years, and then he went into entrepreneurship. So similar to you, how did you? Just out of curiosity, how did you make that transition from? someone that is in the armed forces to entrepreneurship because they're very two different things right and there must have been a lot of what i call hurdles right trying to get make that transition i'd love to know what your thoughts are about that well so i didn't go directly into entrepreneurship so i left the marine corps and went into corporate america and i worked i worked in corporate for a few years as i was transitioning out i had a job as while i was still in the marine corps so i was already making the transition Right. And I actually went into working in the nonprofit space in HIV and AIDS um, activism. And me and one of the gentlemen who I ended up working for, who was a founder of an organization, one day we got into this huge disagreement about the way to do something. Okay. And he was right and I was right in our mind. And during the exchange, he said to me, if you want to call the shots, you need to start your own. And that set down in my soul. And I was like, I've always wanted to call the shots. I like calling the shots. I was a United States Marine. I was in charge of over 150 people. Why am I working for someone else? I'm used to calling the shots. He's right. right. And so that set me on my trajectory of, okay, I have to figure out what am I going to do? And so you hear people talk about passion and follow your passion. And I was like, I'm not passionate about anything. I just like to do different stuff. <laughs> and one day I was sitting down and I was like, you know, the thing that you're actually passionate about is just business. 
Like you've literally been dissecting businesses since you were a kid and not realizing you were doing it. That's actually where you're passionate. And it's like your playground, like I'm good at it. You know, that was one of the things that I was like, okay, so how do I make this work? And I fell into my first business by accident because I was in the Marine Corps, I'm super organized. And one day I posted a picture on Facebook of me organizing my sock drawer and just showing people like, this is how I organize my sock drawer. <laughs> One of my friends showed her boyfriend the picture and was like, you should get him to clean your closet for you. Like, he should organize your closet because he's got something. And so he was like, hey, how much would you charge me to do that? And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, X, Y, Z. And so I did it. And he was like, you should do this for people. He happened to be an NBA ball player. So I immediately went into high-end clientele and I started a concierge service. So that was my first business, but that was how I got into it. And then from becoming friends with him and getting to know him and just talking, we one day were talking about business and he was like, you know, business a lot. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I know a little bit. And he was like, you should do that. And so, you know, it was kind of like, you know what, I should do that. And so I started my branding business and I was like, you know what, he's right. I'm good at that. I should do that next. And when I started it, I found... I found my safe space, Right. I found a space that I, I could be myself. I could have my creative ideas from a business standpoint. I could help people. And so here I am coming up on 13, 13 years into that now. It's been my place. I've had fun. Um, I'm having fun. I don't see myself not having fun. Every day I'm having fun. You know, I don't care if my calendar is jam-packed and I'm running 12 and 17 hour days. I don't feel like I'm working most of the time. Right. So I found my sweet spot. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. And it's interesting because when because you said that, you know, you had learned kind of business even before joining the Marines as a young entrepreneur, like for me, for example, and you know, we had these conversations before I started up, you know, at the age of 11. Did you start up when you were a young age? And if so, what was your first business? I won't say I started as an entrepreneur, but it was around me. So um, my grandfather passed right the month before I was born. He owned a cab company. My other grandfather had a corner store, owned apartments in the city. My mother was the candy lady. She had a candy store. So it was around, it was us. Like that's what we knew and we saw. So, and when, with my mom, with the candy store, the kids in the neighborhood would come to buy candy. And I was the one who's like, nope, I'll do it. I'll take the money out. So was I an entrepreneur? Technically, no, because it wasn't mine. It was my mom's, but I was all in. Um, so when I look back, you know, I definitely have been around entrepreneurs and people who have found a way to make additional money um, and then creating a business out of it. So I didn't have, I wasn't a kid with a lemonade stand or anything like that, but I definitely was around people who had their own businesses and worked for themselves. So it wasn't totally strange to me. So it was like you were kind of like a student and then you were kind of acting as like an entrepreneur rather than an entrepreneur. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, 100%. Love it. Very cool. And I, I think there's lots of, there's definitely lots of skills that you can transition into that owning your own business. 100%. Absolutely agree. Now, I have to ask you this question because I know that you're fluent, not just in English, of course, but you're fluent in Japanese. Where did this come from? What the hell? 
So I lived in Japan when I was state. Well, I was stationed in Japan, and that's where I lived four years. Um, I actually went to college while I was in Japan, wow. and I was dating a Japanese national. Oh wow! And uh, took advantage of the fact that they spoke English, and so I never really made effort into learning. And one day they got irritated with me and was like, I'm no longer talking in English. I'm only going to talk in uh, Japanese. And so about two weeks into that nonsense, um, I finally broke down and was like, okay, I'm going to learn. And so they started teaching me conversational. And then I took that up in college. Most people or most Americans take Spanish as their second language. Right. And so I took Japanese as my second language. Love it. Very cool. That's very cool. So listen, I know that lot you know 2020 which was a tough year for a lot of businesses and whatever it is right you know making that kind of transition but you you've essentially helped a lot of what i call startup companies make their first 10 grand during the pandemic talk to us a little bit about how you went about and done that and what was the qualification in order for for you to take those people on you know it it happened by happen chance <laughs> you know i'm a guy who stands by his word 100%. And so I had made a commitment to myself and my team before the pandemic actually hit. In 2020, I was going to start going live on video. And so I had done like a few videos in January. And like when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, I'm going to go live and talk to people. And as I was live one day, I said out loud, I'm going to go live Monday through Friday until the lockdown is over. And when I said it, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be two weeks. I can go live 10 days. No big deal. But I live in California and the lockdown went on and on and on. And so it was like, oh, my gosh, I done told these people I'm going to go live. I have to commit to it. And so what started happening is people would start to message me after seeing a live or someone had shared it. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what you shared on your live really resonated with me. How can I work with you? And I just believed in giving people actionable steps. That's my approach. Um, I tell people, because I own a consumer goods brand, I'm in the trenches every day as a marketer. I don't speak eerie. I talk about what I'm really implementing in my business and what's working for me. And so the main qualification was selling a retail good, consumer good, and having an online store. I mean, if you had one of those, I felt like I could help. I've sold pretty much everything from kids' toys to adult toys. And so it's not a product that I don't feel like I can understand the customer to sell. And so that was the main qualification. So it was just a bunch of people who had online stores who may have lost their main job and had the time to put in to grind it out and be consistent. And if you're consistent and show up and implement certain things in your business, you can inspire people to purchase from you and generate revenue. Love it. Very cool. And I, and I think that's, that's just such a great thing. Cause I mean, you have a lot of experience in that space, you know, you've got a track record and I think that a lot of people would have benefited from that. And, you know, retail has really taken a hit during the pandemic, hasn't it? You know, especially if you know the bricks and mortar, you know, space, you know, there's no footfall or the shops are closed. Everything is all digital. And it's kind of like taking that transition into shit, how am I going to sell my products online? I have no clue what to do, right? 
Yeah, you know, um, I had a lot of clients who had brick and mortar who was trying to go online. And, you know, something most a lot of people don't know is some of the brands that these stores carry, they also sell online. So they wasn't allowing them to sell their product online. Oh. And so they had all this inventory that they couldn't even get rid of. So we had to think of creative ways for them to even be able to sell their product because you had brands who were like, no, you can't carry our product online or we're going to, you know, stop letting you buy from us all together. You know, um, so those are hurdles that go on that the average consumer doesn't know about, you know, but these are real woes of people who have brick and mortar stores. Um, I mean, how do you get around that? Like, um, you know, if you're a big brand you know, whether it be Ralph Lauren or, or whatever it is, right? And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that, right? I mean, how do you get around that shit? I'm, I mean, I'm just curious because that must be a real sticking point for a lot of people. It, it definitely is. Um, there's some unique ways to do it. I'll give one. Um, creating a private Facebook group of your customers right. so they can see exclusive items that are not on the website. So that definitely works for them. So um, that was one of the ones that we did was creating groups of people um, who came into the private Facebook groups. And in the private Facebook group, you're going to see items that aren't available to everyone else on the website. Awesome. So that's the advantage of coming to the private Facebook group. So things like that we had to do to get creative so they can move some of that inventory. Um, and then I had the hard conversations with them now that you're online you're working twice as hard to promote online and manage the Facebook groups to sell this inventory. Is this a brand you actually want to carry? You know, they clearly in the middle of a pandemic do not care about you because I felt that most brands should have, I know that was your normal rule, but you should have let, let up a little bit because of a pandemic right. and a lot of them did not. So my question was to people, you know, do you really want to do business with them? Because clearly they don't care about you and your business. They just care about their bottom line. Yeah. And so make, they're using you, you as make, a dressing room. You make a really good point because, sorry to interrupt, I was going to say, you know, because those big brands, they need to look after the little people at the end of the day. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that it's the little people that carry the big brands so that the big brands are not helping out the, the little people, right? The little people are going to be like, screw this, I'm going somewhere else. You know, because I'm in the retail space and I also own a consumer goods brand, I've always said, you know, the Achilles heel to the fashion industry is the big brands. Right. They've been around, they do things the way they did it in the 60s, in the 70s. They're not being innovative. You know, it's, it's, they're all about who, who they know and they're doing business with people that they've had these 20 year relationships with. And right. it's hard for the new guy to even get a chance. Right. So that's what has made way for online retail because people now are looking for something new. We're not looking for everything to be mass produced. We're looking for unique items that we're going to add to our wardrobe. And so the big guys are, I think they're in, they're, they're getting a rude awakening. The pandemic has given them a rude awakening and hopefully the small brands continue to apply pressure and make connections with the customers to break up some of this monotony of these are the big brands, these are the only major players, because I think we're going to see way for a lot of new players in the next five to 10 years in the retail space. Do you think uh, that there is, there needs to be some sort of shift in mindset from the big players for them to give the small players a bit of an opportunity? I, I, I definitely think they should be taking it into consideration. I understand that for a big company to make major changes is harder. It costs them more money. Um, and when you're playing with a big company, 
fact that you're talking about their bottom line. And so it makes way for the small company because they're setting their company up. They can implement things that other companies can't because they're just starting. So if you find a big player who's willing to maybe take a little hit, but you know they're dealing with shareholders that they have to please and investors and boards. So those play a part in this for them, but if they can find a way to make the shift and not so much be concerned with the small guy, but be concerned with their customer. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. What do you find from your perspective, Brandon, are the common struggles that you see with a lot of, you know, startup companies that you see time and time and time again, you're like, oh my God, this is the same guy or the same girl. And they're doing the same thing over and over and again, which I say is kind of, as Einstein would say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result. What do you think are the, some of the common struggles that startups and, and startup companies make, especially in, in kind of some of, the, uh, some of the people that you work with? Processes. They, <laughs> they don't understand their process. Right. They don't have a process. They're flying by the seat of their pants. They haven't taken a moment to understand what having a business is. Um, a lot of small business owners that I see are thrust into being an entrepreneur because they've seen someone else online doing it and think it's easy. Yeah. But they don't know they don't know the process. All they see is, oh, this person is doing it. They post three times a day on Instagram and they're making money. And so they don't know what the behind the scenes actually look like. And so they have no process. They're just out here thinking it just happens magically. Yeah, I agree 100%. Very cool. How important is it for a lot of, especially with the people that you work with, how important is it to understand the customer journey? And when, you know, from someone that maybe comes across your, say, web page or whatever it is to someone that actually purchases a product, how important is it to understand the customer journey? And from your perspective, where do people start from that? is highly important you know the customer is the 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 heartbeat of your company so what what i do with my my clients is we go on exercises to brands that they shop on and we let them see what that shopping experience is for them and how do they feel on each step along the way and what conveys to them that actually makes them want to hit the buy button on a website or take an item to the register inside a store and then we reverse engineer that and bring it back to their business so i think if you understand what triggers you to buy you can understand what's going to trigger your customers to buy they're all oftentimes they're very similar interesting yeah i mean i guess it's kind of understanding the psychology as well of like what people's minds are going through and what they're looking at i mean there's so much to take into consideration right brandon especially if someone goes to a web shop and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer about the whole kind of, you know, like Amazon, for example, where you kind of got what I call the three clicks and you're out of here type of thing. Right. You know, and I just love that model. Do you use those same principles like Amazon do is like the three clicks, you know, yes, I want it. Put your details in click number two, click number three, buy it. It's as simple as that. What sort of is how similar is it? Does your methodology um, help with some of the guys that you're working with? Is it kind of similar? Yeah, yes, it's very similar. Um, you know, Amazon has done extensive research on the buying habits of people. I tell people all the time, right. don't try to reinvent the wheel. There's companies that are making it work. 
and Amazon is one. And I always tell people Amazon's a logistics company. Amazon isn't a retailer. They're a logistics company. They figured out the logistics of getting items to us faster. That's what they figured out. And so understanding logistics in your business, and I use them always as an example because it's more like right now, I was just talking to a friend yesterday who said to me, man, the um, USPS really screwed my business. And I was like, no, they didn't. You screwed your business because you didn't pivot quick enough to move over to FedEx or UPS to get your customers their product faster. You took the cheap way out. You screwed your business because you were being cheap. You know, you can't blame that on someone else. Like there was more than enough warning. If you're paying attention to what was going on in the United States with our election and how they were pulling out sorting machines, that was a red flag to a business owner that, oh, they're pulling out sorting machines. They're going to be doing it manually. That means there's going to be delays. If there's going to be delays, that means my customer is going to be affected. How do I remedy this? Absolutely. And so I think as a business owner, you can't tell because, you know, you can't use that as an excuse. I hate when I see people say to their customer, oh, it's USPS fault. To an extent it is, but it's also your fault because you chose to go the cheaper route. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, is the, is the other thing as well, Brandon, right, is that if you know that something's going down, like the presidential elections, as we discussed, right, and the fact that UPS or, 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 or the, you know, the, the mail service is going to like screw your deliveries up, right? And you already know that. Then you've got to kind of have contingencies on the plate and in, in the, do you know what I'm saying? And like, yes, highlighted about the fact that this guy has not taken personal responsibility. He knew about it and he was given the warning signs, yet he just went and be a cheap sod and just went for the cheap route and thought, nah forget it and just kind of be ignorant right it's just kind of stupid i don't know that's just kind of my feeling right yeah is it you know it is it it becomes that you're so consumed with the quick sale and you're not looking at the life expectancy of the client like i said i sell consumer goods i have customers who are going to continue to buy from us because they're like oh my god they got here so quick oh i didn't know you guys use fedex and we're like we typically don't but we're in a global pandemic and I need to make sure you get your stuff. You're ordering from us. So we need to make sure you're getting your items. Do we take a little hit on our margins because FedEx may cost a little bit more? Yes, but my customer is going to stay with me and not be looking for the next company to jump ship to because we took care of them. Right, it's true, very true. And I guess, you know, it's interesting because, and, and I rave about this guy all the time and, you know, about the online shoe retailer Zappos back in the day before Amazon bought them, right? And, and I just love reading the stories about the logistical headaches that they had and they used to try and bring it in-house and they're like, oh, damn it. And then they had teething problems and that kind of stuff. In your space, in the retail space, because that's kind of where you, are there any um, teething problems that you've had along your journey? And if so, what did you learn from it? Um, who? The biggest issue we've had is supply and demand. We were unique. Our model was to do limited edition. When we first started, we were dropping product every 90 days, oh. new product every 90 days, um, really pushing that we only did X amount, you either get them or you don't. And we had a lot of customers who would constantly, and still to this day, pound us about bringing certain designs back. Right. Um, we still get hit with that. And so 
being able to stand in integrity and say, well, no, we marketed this as limited edition. We're not running it again. Stop asking. Or maybe we'll revamp it in a different way and spin it. But I think that was our biggest thing. I think we, when we were doing that, we didn't realize how many people really wanted our product. So we did this thing to create the demand. Um, and then when it happened, we were like, oh, so what do we do to remedy this? You know, so that transition to going and having a product line that was always in stock, you know, so that was how we got to our essentials, something that's always in stock. Doing that method hurt us in terms of getting into some retailers because some of our product came out and retailers wanted it, but they wanted us to reproduce something they had already seen and we wouldn't do that. So I think those were some of the hurdles we found early on is, you know, sticking to your guns, um, being in integrity as you market to your, your customer base and being okay with that was one of our biggest challenges. And then being on the power of social media. So using social media to your advantage, um, but understanding that social media is fleeting and social media can drain your energy. So being able to constantly be there, engaged with your customer base, posting content, creating content, although you know it, there's benefits to it, it's also repercussions to it. And it's a, it's a suck on energy, time, resources. It's a lot. Absolutely. What do you find, you know, uh, especially in the last oh, 12 to 18 months, what have you found really helps drive sales from a marketing perspective? Video content, pulling back the curtain and letting people see what your process is. If you're having a nervous breakdown, record it. Let people know that you're human. Let, like literally let people know that you're human and that running this business isn't a cakewalk. But showing people that transparency and showing them the back, background, the behind the scenes pieces, not everything. I do personally believe certain things aren't for the public. Right. You know, certain things are not for the public in your business. But if you can pull back a few layers and, and bring them along the journey, they feel more invested in your brand. And that is skyrocketing the brands that I'm working with. Um, and I'm, I'm a stickler because like I said earlier, you know, I had to make a commitment to go live because I don't like it and do video content. So I'm definitely, you know, living proof that, you know, because it, it skyrocketed my business. So it's one of those things that I've really been able to use as a case study for my, my clients because I'm like, hey, look, these are the numbers we were doing before I started going live and look at what my numbers are now, you know. And it's the only thing I changed it. I didn't start a new program. I didn't roll out some new service. It's all the same services. All I did was start going live. I do not create content and put out new content on social daily. I was just going live. I foregoed creating graphics and posting constantly on social media. And I just went live and talked to people and it just skyrocketed my business. So I was a great case study for my clients that were on the fence or the ones who didn't want to do it. So because I was taking that journey with them, they were more willing to take the journey as well. What do you think from your perspective, because you've been doing this for quite some time, what do you think the reasons why some people just don't get the content marketing? You know, why is it that they fail at what they do? They're making content for themselves. That, that, that is the number one thing I see um, and I hear. Um, especially being on Clubhouse, being able to hear from so many people rapidly on what their challenges are. 
every not everyone, but a large majority of people are running their business for them. They've totally neglected who they're running their business actually for, which is the customer. And so I think that's the hurdle. You see people, oh yeah, I made this video and no one liked it. Your customers are telling you they don't want that type of content, yet you've made 15 pieces of content exactly like that. They didn't like it for a reason the first time. Stop making that type of content, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's a bit like anything, uh, Brandon, right? You know, it's the same as being in the, in the U.S. Marines. If you're working in the trenches, right, and you just don't know what the hell is going on above you, and it's like, okay, and then someone calls you out in your BS or someone like you or me or whatever it is, like, why are you doing that? That's stupid, right? No one wants that crap. Why are you doing that, right? Do you know what I'm saying? With the military, it's one of those things that um, we learned, but it's called situational awareness. Mm. You have to be aware of what's going on around you. You know, um, there's this new thing that everyone likes to say in businesses. I'm my own competition. You're freaking lying. Like, you're lying to yourself. Like, there's competition out here. Yeah, you can be, you know, oh, it's enough room for everyone because there is, but you're still in competition. And it's not like, oh, a battle, but if a customer has $100 and Adam has a product that costs $100 and Brandon has a product that costs $100 and all the customer has is $100, we are now in competition to get those $100. For real. Absolutely. 100%. I absolutely agree with you on that, actually. I was going to say, I want to go to Clubhouse because, you know, Clubhouse to me just cracks me up. I know that we hang out on every Monday and Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, for you, I mean, I know that you've been on, you probably, I mean, I joined, when was it? Kind of third week in January. So I suppose I'm still in kind of the infancy stages in a way, but you've been on it for probably a bit longer than I have. What have you found um, what, do you, what do you like and dislike about Clubhouse, more importantly? Ooh, what do I like? I like talking. I like talking and I like listening. I love that the veil... For, okay, so here's the thing. It's a social media platform that I feel you really get to see who's got some weight right. behind what they do. You know, you can quickly discern in a conversation who knows what they're talking about and who's been putting on a facade. Um, I think for me, Clubhouse is defining real influence. Um, I think the what I found um, is a lot of the influencers from other platforms are coming onto Clubhouse and are getting caught with their pants down because they have nothing of value to say. They just know how to edit a pretty picture. Um, and so it's exposing a lot, but it's also becoming a great resource for like Mastermind 2.9, not even 2.0, like like 9.0. Like to be in, a, in, a, in the right clubhouse room with the right people that are, are there outside of the, the ego and just really talking strategy and pouring into the audience right because what I've learned is when you're on a stage talking it's not about you and who you're talking to and I think that's what some of the bigger stages haven't figured out yet they're up there talking to their rich friends it's not serving anyone but them yeah but the rooms where 
speakers are conscious of the hundreds and thousands of people who are listening on in the audience and is actually saying things that's going to help inspire them, take them to the next level, give them a website to look at, a tool, an app that they're using to take their business to the next level. I'm loving that. What I'm not liking about it, I, you know what? I'm, I'm Because I'm not affected by it, but I see it is the, the, the high school-like drama of everyone wanting to go back and forth and bicker. Um, I personally just do not even go around those rooms that do it. I, I can definitely tell by the titles of the rooms in the hallway that something's going on, but that's not why I, why I am there. And I think that's why I'm still having fun because a lot of people saying, oh, it's draining at times. And I think it's draining because you're taking on other people's drama. And if you're just there having fun and making real connections, it's like, it's still fun. I've been on for about 90 days and I'm still having fun. You know, it's interesting because, you know, one of the big things I really hate about business is gossip, right? Bad drama and gossip. I don't do any of that shit. And I know that you don't do that shit because for me, it's just a, it's just a, it's energy draining number one. And it's a distraction. Who the freak wants to know what's going on in, in, in drama? And, you know, I've got my own dramas in what, you know, I've got my own problems, right? Same for you, Brandon, right? I mean, come on guys. I mean, Live, live a life type of thing. You know what I'm saying? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody got problems. What are y'all complaining about? Like, and it's normally, and I, I don't check anybody's bank account, but it's normally the ones who are saying they're umpteenth millionaires and you're arguing about the dumbest stuff. Like, how, like, you're, you have no, re like, if you're this person who has this clientele base and you're doing XYZ and ABC, why are you so concerned that you're wanting to argue with someone else about like that just don't I don't I don't get it maybe when I become a umpteenth millionaire or a billionaire maybe I'll understand that that's what you worry about but I don't understand it today because I don't worry about that stuff hey so listen guys by the way if you're listening right just wanted to point this out as a disclaimer right brandon and myself are not zillionaires and we don't claim to be zillionaires and we're not going to make you a zillionaire but if you want to be a zillionaire go into clubhouse especially the big rooms and uh, they might promise you those things anyway i just wanted to put that to bed anyway <laughs> listen legal I, I, disclaimer <laughs> it's all good um I know that it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm a big believer in first impression counts, right? Especially when, I mean, we, we met through Clubhouse and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know that you have, you go through transition. So when you are, for example, in part of our room, uh, you have your, you have your Marine hat on, right? Like kind of Mr. Serious, like, you know, you, you know, you cut people down in terms of like, don't be doing that. That's bullshit, right? And the use cut them out, right? Just, and, I, and I've seen it many times before. But then there's the kind of the fun side of Brandon, right? Like we're doing now. So the stuff that we've been doing kind of here, which is kind of cool, right? But let me ask you an in interesting question. How important is it to have fun in your business? And how do you have fun? It's mm, 100% important. I do everything in my business with discipline because discipline carries me further than anything else, but I want to enjoy it. I, I, I joke and I say it like this, like I'm almost 40 and I still look like I'm in my 20s because I don't stress and I'm having fun. 
Like, I, I don't want to do this if it's not going to be fun. Um, and fun is different for everyone. You know, um, for me, fun is going out to eat. Fun is having a conversation with my friends, having a glass of wine. You know, fun is, you know, deep diving into some research about a company and really learning what's going on. So fun can be different things at different times. But whatever it is that I need in that moment for it to be fun, fun can be disconnecting for a week and saying, I don't want to work for a week. That can be fun, you know? Um, so whatever fun looks like at that particular point that I need, I need to be able to have that flexibility um, with regards to my responsibilities. So that's why I always lead with discipline because sometimes I want to go have fun when clients need things to be done that so I can't go have fun right now I need to be disciplined um so I lead with discipline but definitely fun is coming up close second in everything that I do love it very cool so I guess my final question for me is I mean what I mean you've had a lot of success especially in in, in the space that you're working in right now and, and I love just listening to your journey from U.S. Marine Corps through to corporate employee, corporate America to entrepreneur. They're, they're very three huge, big, giant steps. It's a bit like jumping on the moon type of thing, you know. <laughs> but what's in, like, for you, what is what is important to you, you know, especially moving forwards in your business and stuff? What's important to you? The things that are important to me currently is helping small businesses. I come from nothing, so I know where a lot of them are and needing a break, um, that is like really important to me. So I'm trying to help as many small businesses as I possibly can. Employing people is important to me. Everyone's not supposed to be an entrepreneur. Some people want to help organizations rise. Right. And so employing people and recognizing people for their talent. I tell people all the time, I have a team that makes me look good. You know, you get to see me and say, how can you be on Clubhouse so many hours and you have this business? because I have a team of people behind me who make me look good. And I do not take that for granted. That's important to me. And being, being remembered as a good person. I joke and say that I'm a likable asshole, <laughs> but to be totally honest, I'm a good person. Like I'm a good person and I want people to, to when, when people talk about me, I like the fact that I know that I show up with integrity and they can say, you know what? He's a good person. And so that's what I, um, that's what's important to me today. That's going to be important to me moving forward. Those three things I'm really passionate about all three. Um, and I think those are the recipe that have helped guide my success. Um, even when I, I'm working with large tier clients and doing coaching with, you know, six and seven figure earners, um, I still have focus on the small business. That's cool. Very good. All right. Well, listen, I just want to say thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us on the show. I really appreciate it. I hope you had some fun. I definitely had fun. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Awesome. Listen, guys, if you're listening and you've enjoyed mine and Brandon's discussions and conversations, please do me a favor. 
click on his social media links on the links below and uh, just mention the Game Changers Experience podcast so he knows exactly where you've come from. And, uh, and I'm sure that in due kind, uh, he will respond to you or one of his team will respond to you and try to reach out to you in due kind. So listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed the show today and uh, we'll see you again up on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.